text through which we are looking, and it is important. Acts chapter 1. <coughs> you remember the Lord Jesus has gone back to heaven, and the disciples are just standing amazed at what they are witnessing. And it is an amazing thing they're witnessing. <coughs> Verse 9, when they had spoke, when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? <clears throat> and this is the, port, port, the portion that we want. This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner, in the same kind of way as you have seen him go into heaven. This same Jesus shall so come again in like manner, as you have seen him go. Right? Now you remember last week we looked at that marvellous truth, didn't we? That the Lord Jesus has come the once into the world <coughs> and that he is coming back again. And what we noticed was the incredible difference between the two comings. Very, very different the way in which he comes. The first time we saw he came as saviour, and the second time coming in Revelation 19 as judge. The first time the babe in the manger, the second time pictured as a rider on a white horse. And everything about the two comings seemed to be so different. The manner of each coming was so, so different. You'd have thought that it was two different people. But, as the angel says, it's the same Jesus. The Jesus who came the first time, he came to be saviour. The Jesus who comes the second time is the same Jesus as he comes to be the judge. Jesus, this same Jesus, Jesus the saviour, is Jesus the judge. And we contrasted them, we saw the contrast in the two comings. But now we're going to look at the second part. He will come again in like manner, in an exactly similar way as you saw him go up. And we want to look at the firstly the similarities between the ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ and his coming back again. Because in simple terms, when he went up, the manner in which he ascended was he went up in victory. He went up in triumph. He went up in power and he went up in great glory and he's going to come back the same way. That's how he went up. He went up in victory. He went up in victory over sin, over death and over hell. What a mighty victory. He went up in triumph for he triumphed over, yes, sin and death and hell, but he triumphed over Satan himself. He destroyed him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He dealt him a deadly wound. And Satan has never recovered from that deadly wound. He went up in great power. He went up in 
All the power of God. We'll see that. He was received up. He was caught up. He was taken up by the very hand of God. In the power of God, he ascended up on high and he led captivity captive. The scripture says he was received up in glory. So you've already got the picture, the ascension, the manner of his going up. It was victory. (coughs) It was triumph. It was power and it was glory. Now it's a great blessing, you know, if you just go through the Gospels and just read the events. The actual event of the Lord Jesus going back to heaven. It's actually Mark and Luke which give you the the exact events. Matthew gets you ready for it and then he stops his Gospel, right? And it's quite lovely because he's getting you ready to get a picture (coughs) of who this man is now that's going back to heaven and the way in which he's going back to heaven. And what he says is like the last words before the Lord goes, he says, the Lord Jesus says, all power, all authority is given unto me both in heaven and upon earth. And he's going up with power, he's going up in authority, and he's going to have power and authority that's in all of heaven and in all of earth. And when he returns again in Revelation chapter 19 and opening up from there, he returns that same way in mighty power and absolute authority over both heaven and earth. He comes back the same way. When you go to Mark's Gospel, (coughs) it's only a little bit different. It says he was received up into heaven. He sat down on the right hand of God. And that is the seat of supreme authority. And when he returns, he will come from that place, that very same place, and he will exercise that absolute authority of God. So you see, he will be coming back in like manner as he went up. And just go and read Luke's Gospel. (coughs) Luke's Gospel is, there's something very sweet and beautiful about the way Luke writes. Luke was a Greek. And when Luke writes, he's an artist. There's no doubt about that. The Greeks were great artistic people. And Luke uses words to paint pictures, a bit like like John does in the Revelation, although John's was a direct vision. Luke is a style of presentation. And I can't ever get out of my mind the beautiful picture of the resurrected Christ. And he leads them out as far as Bethany. (coughs) And it says quite plainly there, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he was carried up. He was parted from them and he was carried up into heaven. And I've always had this vision of the ascended Christ. He's going up and his hands are still uplifted in blessing. And he's going up and he's going up higher and higher and his hands are still uplifted in blessing. And a cloud receives him out of their sight with his hands still uplifted in blessing. He's going to come back exactly the same way for the redeemed. When he comes back, he's going to come back with the greatest blessing that we've ever known. He who with hands uplifted went from the earth below shall come again all gifted his blessing to bestow. Before him on the mountain shall peace the herald flow and righteousness in fountains from hill to valley go. There it is. That's the coming again. Can you see there? There's great blessing, you see, in the coming back of the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation is not dealing so much with that. It's dealing with the judgment. And what will happen as we put all these together, he will return in the mighty power of God. 
He will return with absolute authority over all heaven and all earth, and he will come to gain the final victory over sin and Satan and death and hell. It's the fulfillment of Psalm 110. <clears throat> and one day we'll do Psalm 110 like we did Psalm 8. Because Psalm 110 is so beautiful about this picture. The Lord said unto my Lord, that's how it starts, <clears throat> Sit thou at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool of your feet. And what we're going to read about in Revelation 19 is like the, the final act in that drama where ultimately every enemy is put under the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. So you see how he went up. You see how the Gospel writers showed it to us, just in the simple facts. How Matthew sh showed it to us. How Mark showed it to us. How Luke showed it to us. And then the apostles, you know, showed us the same sorts of things. You just go to what the apostle Paul wrote. He says, he ascended up on high and he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Can you not see? He ascended up on high. He led captivity captive. Can you not feel the triumph, the victory? Can you not see the power and the authority leading captivity captive? And then he gave gifts to men. He's got his hands out in blessing for his people. So you put the whole picture together. Paul says, I've read the book of Revelation and chapter 19. And I've read what the apostles wrote. He said, I've seen the risen Christ in glory myself when he met me on the Damascus road. And he says, I tell you, when he went up on high, he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. What does that mean? <clears throat> what does it actually mean? He led captivity captive. That's a strange expression, really. But the idea is that the whole system of evil, the entire system of evil, which had held captive all mankind in sin and death, the whole rotten, filthy, evil system, he captured it and he conquered it. And he got it and he held it. And he captivated it. And that was the end of it. And we're going to see in Revelation, as we're moving through 19 and 20, he takes the beast, captured. Takes the false prophet, captured. He takes Satan, captured. And it's the end of the whole thing in a final picture, cast into the lake of fire. You see, <clears throat> in the ancient times, when there was a great war or there was a great victory or... You know, a king went out to fight and he conquered another land, a mighty general and won a victory in war. When he came back home, there was a great victory march. Right? <clears throat> he would ride at the head of the great victory march. The Whoever it was, the king or the great general. And in the Roman times, they would ride on a white horse. Remember Revelation 19 coming on the white horse. And in this great victory march, behind the rider on the horse in the times of the Romans, would be all the conquered kings and all the conquered captains and the leaders, and they would be shackled, they would be in chains, they would be, and they'd be made to walk behind the one who was the victor and who won the battle. And they'd be there in absolute shame and in total defeat because the victor is leading captive those who once would have captivated them. He's ascended up on high. He's led captivity captive. And he's brought a blessing and gifts to men. 
Isn't that beautiful? That's what the ascension is guaranteed. And what's opening up before us is the fullness of the working out of what God has already ordained and which the Lord Jesus Christ could do totally right now. He is doing that now. Every sinner that's saved is set free from the captivity of Satan and brought into the wonderful blessings of being a child of God. So it is going on now, but in that final day, what a day that will be, when the entire system will be just taken, never to raise its ugly head again. And Paul says in Colossians 2, he says that he's actually spoiled principalities and powers. Spoiled them. That means you took away everything from them. When you spoil a thing, you actually rob it. You wreck it, you know, you... You, get, you spoil an artwork, you ruin it, you wreck it. You spoil somebody's wealth, you, do, you defraud them of it, or you flagrantly steal it, or you throw it away and waste it. He has spoiled these principalities and these powers and these great evil authorities. And he's made a show of them openly, like the rider on that horse, you know? Everybody can look and cheer, and everybody can look at the defeated and say, oh, look at them, crushed at last. So it says he spoiled principalities and powers and he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Now that's what we're starting to read in Revelation. It gets better and better as you move from chapter 19 and the truth into chapter chapter 20 and on, on to the finality of chapter 21. In all its blessing and in all its glory, the holy city, the new Jerusalem, where we shall reside in the fullness of the blessings of the ascended Christ, who went up with hands uplifted in blessing. In blessing. I'll give you another point to think about. When the Lord Jesus ascended up on high, he ascended up on high, just as you'll come back the same way, in the same manner, he ascended up on high in the fullness of all of the anointed officers. Now, just follow me here, because this is another subject entirely. What are the anointed officers in the Old Testament? Who are those who were anointed, set aside, set apart for the God and for his service to represent him and to serve him? Right? They anointed the prophet, didn't they? They anointed the priest, didn't they? And they anointed the king. And when you read the story of the ascension, you will see clearly that yes, he's going back in the fullness of those officers. He's going back in the priest, for there is that priestly blessing in the uplifted hands. He's going back the prophet who spoke and still speaks the word of God. He said to Matthew, to the disciples in Matthew, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, right? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, and so on. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. The words that I spoke to you, for I was speaking the words of my Father... He gave me the words to speak, which I, as the prophet of God, the mouthpiece of God, the one who brings down the word of God, that's what a prophet is, right? The mouthpiece, the word, the one who speaks on behalf of God. You go and take those words and repeat them 
to the nations and they'll be saved. So he goes up there in the role of the prophet. You see, the prophet is speaking. He goes up in the role of the priest. Because you see, what's he done? He's made one sacrifice for sin forever. That's what he's done. He has shed his own precious blood. And he is about to enter into the holiest of all as the priest, not with us, not with the blood of bulls and the blood of other animals, but by his own precious blood, in the fullness of his own sacrifice, as priest he will enter in through the veil and he will make a way for God's people to come in following behind him because he has made the sacrifice. He has been the priest who made the sacrifice and he's been the priest who is the sacrifice and he is the captain, can you see the triumph in that word alone, who is bringing many sons to glory. He's the file leader of our salvation. He is at the head of the command. He has blazed away through sin. He has broken the power of Satan. He has seized authority by right. He has broken the strength of death, overcome the darkness of hell and of Hades. He's led it all captive and he's gone right into the presence of God himself. Our great high priest. You get that? The prophet, word of God. The priest with the sacrifice in the presence of God. With the uplifted hands in the blessing of God. And of course, he is, is he king? Of course he is his king. He ascended up on high. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And we know that's true because we've crowned him Lord of all. There it is. We've crowned him Lord of all. So he goes up in all the fullness of those anointed officers. You're going to find, <coughs> if we get there, in Revelation chapter 19, those officers, he comes back exactly the same as the prophet, the priest, and the king. It's all there. And it's all in the secret of the names of the rider on the white horse. Now let's go to Revelation 19. Remember, it's in like manner as he went up. Authority, power, victory, triumph, glory, priest, prophet, priest, king. Now go to Revelation 19. And we will be reading from verses 11 <coughs> down to 16 because that's, I want to draw attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. I want us after this study to have a better understanding and a deeper sense of reverence for who Jesus is. All right? Because it's all been a bit ruined in this last decade or two. Somewhere or other, you know, it's Jesus, just Jesus the man, Jesus the boy, Jesus the babe, Jesus the mate, Jesus who's just another one of us, but a bit of a better one than us. You know, Jesus that we talk to anyhow and use his name in vain. It's really sad because... We need to know this same Jesus, God has made him both Lord and Christ. He is the Lord. He is Jesus. He is Christ. And if you go through the New Testament and read how the epistles, uh, the apostles wrote about the Lord Jesus Christ, you will find far and away in number they referred to him as Christ, Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ, primarily, by far more than they used, only the name Jesus. Because you see, you need to see the richness of who he is. And in the ascension, that's coming out. And in the coming day, they'll see. They'll see who he really is. All right. Verse 11, And I saw heaven open above... No, just a minute. 
I want you to pick out the names in your mind as you go through, because this is where the clue to understanding uh, what the revelation of Jesus is here, the Lord Jesus is here, and what I want to get to you too. I saw heaven open, a white horse, he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. See the name? You got that? That's the name, Faithful and True. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire. On his head were many crowns. <clears throat> Look at this one. He had a name written that no man knew but he himself. That's not just that they didn't know what it was, but it's also suggestive there is there's something more than you can really understand or you can really know. No man knew. Another name. Faithful and true. And then on his head, crowns, but a name that no man knew. Now look at the next verse 13. He was clothed in a vesture or garments, <coughs> dipped in blood, and his name. See that? And his name is called the Word of God. Faithful and true, and no a name that no man knows, and then the word of God. We're not told where the name faithful and true was written, not quite in verse eleven. It would seem that the name that no man knew was written on his head. And in verse thirteen, this name the word of God, and if you're thinking you've already heard the word prophet going banging in your head. Right? And if you're thinking of the vesture dipped in blood, you've already heard of priests, you know, knocking in your head. We'll come back to that. Now this one, the armies, the word of God is on that vesture which is dipped in blood. Verse 14, the armies which were in heaven <coughs> followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads out the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he's got on his vesture, or on his garment, and on his thigh, two places. <coughs> Firstly, on his vesture there's a name, the Word of God. Now on his vesture and on his thigh is a name written, and the name is King of Kings. And... Lord of Lords. Got all those names, right? The names in Scripture identify who a person is. Common sense. Identify them by their name. But in Scripture, the names we used in relation to God and to the Holy Spirit and to the Lord Jesus Christ, they tell you something about that person. And if you and I can just somehow or other Get these names together in our mind and realise the wonderful things it tells you about who this person is, about this person who's riding on this white horse. Then you will understand in that coming day that the Lord Jesus is going to come in the fullness of his glory. It's all there in these names. The fullness of his glory. Glory will be seen. And it comes out of those names. Let's go back, verse 11, <clears throat> and deal with the name. 
First of all, we saw heaven open. We dealt with that last week. I can't believe how splendid that must have been to see. And a white horse, and we saw that. That was the horse of victory. The rider was the victor. He that sat upon him is called Faithful and True. That's the first name. And the idea I see there is that he was faithful, not only in all that he did, but he is faithful in all that he says. He is faithful to his promises. Remember that, fellow Christian. He never breaks his promise. Whether that's a promise of blessing or whether that's a promise of judgment, he is faithful to his promise. He is faithful to his word. He is true. He is absolutely true to everything he says. He is what he says he is. He does what he says he will do. He never deviates in any crooked or unusual or devious way whatsoever. He never utters words that are not true. There is never any deceit coming out of his mouth, says the prophet. So there is never will you hear in that coming day from the lips of the Lord Jesus any more than you did in his life or that you will now. You will never hear those deceitful words. There's no double talk. There's no hidden harmful meaning. There's no political talk speak. There's no asking a question and getting a thousand words in reply that never actually answer the question. There's never somebody saying to you something, but they don't actually mean what they're saying. They're facile words, smooth talking, you know, to sort of settle you down and say you don't really know what's going on behind the words that are being said. Or words that could be interpreted in all sorts of ways. It's yea is yea and nay is nay. And fellow Christian, there's a good lesson for us today. In a world where words are twisted, where they are bent, where they are misused and misapplied to misrepresent absolute truth, let your yea be yea and let your nay be nay. In other words, straight answer, yes, and you mean it. No, you mean it. Straight talking. Because anything more than this, the Lord said it, it's evil. Sorry, it's evil. What are you hiding? What are you trying not to say? Why, what, who, scheme, duplicity. What does it say about the Lord Jesus? The promises of God in him are yay and amen. That's it. Finalised. Finalised. The idea of being true also just means the idea of being absolutely straight. You get the idea, you know, you're trying to line up two things when you're doing a building and you, you, this one's there and you've got to get the next one to be just the same position, just as straight as that one. You say, hey, that one's not true, you know? <laughs> Rectified, it's not true. So that's the idea also of being true. Now there you've got it, first of all, faithful and true. You go to verse 12, his eyes is a flame of fire. <clears throat> and we saw that nothing, nothing escapes that penetrating gaze. Look, I tell you, there will be no hiding in the day of judgment. There'll be no hiding. Not from those eyes. And it says there in verse 12, and on his head were many crowns. And the idea there, of course, is that he's already conquered. You see, it's not just reigning over one dominion. He has conquered much prior to this, and his rule is extensive. And in that coming day, he's going to wound the head over many countries. 
He's going to conquer absolutely and completely. And we've already seen, it, seen he's conquered sin. He's conquered hell. He's conquered death. He's led captivity captive. On his head already are many crowns. And we crown him all the time. You get the idea there's many conquests that he's already had before he comes out in the final victory battle to destroy that which is left and that which is remaining. And you stand for a minute. And you just stand in awe at a rider on a white horse, faithful and true. The armies from heaven are following and their white horses and their white garments a spectacular sign as the sky is filled with the wonder of the returning Christ. And you say, yes, it's the same Jesus. It is Jesus the Saviour, yes. It's Jesus the Judge, yes. And he is a real man, yes. But then you look again and you think, no man's ever acted like this before. Huh? No man has ever acted like this before. I mean, no one has ever judged with such discernment before. As a matter of fact, men and women are distinctly told to judge not, not to take on the role of judgment, because only there is only one who understands judgment and discerns accurately. And let this rider on the right white horse, he's acting in such a way that no man has ever acted before. Yet this rider on the white horse, he's riding like a man, but he's acting as if he were God. You get that? He's acting with all the power of God. He's acting with all the authority of God. Why ever would he be doing that? Because he is God. See, this is the other dimension. Saviour, yes. Judge, yes. Man, yes. But the rider who comes back, as it were, who comes riding from heaven, he is man, yes, but he is God. He is fully man. He is fully God. Jesus... Jesus is fully man and fully God. Never, never forget it in your thinking about him. Never, never forget in your speaking about him. Just as you must never forget he is saviour, but he is also judge. So never, never forget that Jesus Christ, the Lord, Adonai, sovereign God, Lord Jesus Christ is fully man and he is fully God. He is actually the saviour who died and he is also God over all, blessed forever. And if you can't combine all these truths in the one person, you haven't got the true Jesus. You get that? I'm trying to get you now to move towards an understanding of who our blessed Lord is and why we should fall down and worship him. That's why. And put him in a plane, a, a position and a place far above all, nowhere near within our reach. And yet graciously he has condescended to come and meet us and come within our reach. But he is still God over all, blessed forever. And in this one person who's coming back to judge, Manhood, let me, I've worded it this way, manhood and deity, or if you like, manhood and Godhead are inextricably and inscrutably combined. Get that? Inextricably, you can't separate, and 
inscrutably in a way you can't really grasp or understand. They are completely combined in this one blessed person. And this is why the Apostle Paul, he talks about great, this is the great mystery of godliness that God has been manifested in flesh. And this is a point at which we're getting to some truths that are a little bit beyond our understanding. You can't really grasp that he's fully God, that he is fully man, that the two are brought together. You can't really understand that. You can understand him as saviour. Yes, I can grasp that because he's my saviour. I can understand him as judge, as faithful and true, and the word of God, and king of kings, and lord of lords. But, 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 but there's something more, and it's exactly what Matthew says in chapter 11, and try and grasp this. No man knows the Son but the Father. That's what he says. No man fully knows the Son but the Father, because we're dealing with the inscrutable Christ, where there is something not possible to understand, and not completely able to be explained or to be interpreted and you stand in awe for a moment because there's something about the Lord Jesus Christ. There are glories and there are truths. And there are depths about this Jesus, this rider on the white horse, which we cannot fully grasp because they are actually beyond our comprehension. So there is a name written which no man knows. Got it? It's just beyond. You say there is a name there. I can see there's a name there. And you're, you're squinting, you know, and you're maybe trying to get a bit closer and you say, no, sorry, there's something about him. The name depicts that there is that in the Lord Jesus Christ which is beyond us, and the hymn puts it beautifully, but the high mysteries of thy name, an angel grasp transcend, where the Father only glorious claim, the Son can comprehend. This is the grounds upon which we worship him, you know. Only deity can fully understand deity. Only God can fully understand God. And that's why there's that name there that is just eluding our grasp and our knowledge and our vision. Someone said, it's light too bright for the feebleness of a sinner's sight. The incomprehensible Christ and the mystery of godliness the infinite, eternal, immeasurable, incomprehensible qualities of the rider on the white horse. The name which you just can't know. Faithful and true, yes, I can know all about that because I can see him in how he acts. The word of God, yes, I can understand that for I can hear him in how he speaks. Right? And King of kings and Lord of lords, yes, I can understand that because I can see him rule and I can bow my knee. But then I stop and I loose those shoes from off my feet. For the ground whereon I'm standing is holy ground. Now get that part clear too, will you please, about Moses. Remember Moses and the burning bush? <clears throat> He's going along in the desert and he sees a bush and it's being burnt. And he thinks, oh, well, yeah, the bush, that's it. The bush will burn up and the fire will go out. And he keeps watching and the bush keeps on burning. Right? And it burns and it burns. He looks a bit longer and it's still burning. But the bush itself is not consumed. The bush continues to exist despite the burning of the flames. And Moses says, I'm going to draw aside. I'm going to have a look. And a voice comes from heaven and says, no, you can't look. You can't read this name, you see. You can't. He said, no, no, just stop where you are. For the ground whereon you're standing is holy. 
What you are seeing, Moses, is a symbolic representation of who God really is as the self-existent, continuing God, as that bush in the fire continued to exist, self-continuing existence, so that it is a picture of the absolute deity and almightiness of God, his continuing self-existence, and there is something more than we can see. Moses, don't draw nigh thither. There's something more than we can understand. And he says, Moses, you take the shoes off your feet and you bow down and you worship. There is something about a God who dwells in light, which light which no man can approach unto, who no man has seen nor can see. You cannot read that name. We suddenly exalted the rider on a white horse from merely being a man who was once rejected, from merely being a saviour, or from just only being a judge, into being him who is God over all, blessed forever. Tremendous truths, aren't they? All just in the picture that John has drawn. And fellow Christian, I just want to encourage you this morning. This same Jesus is our saviour. Not just the man of Galilee, not just the one who veiled his glory and was seen in weakness and in shame. No, the one we rest in is Saviour is none less than God over all, blessed forever. When I was young there was a hymn we used to sing and it was, There is no other name than thine. Jehovah Jesus, Yahweh Jesus, name divine, on which to rest for sins forgiven, for peace with God and for hope in heaven. It's very beautiful, isn't it? Jesus the Christ, eternal word, of all creation, sovereign Lord. On thee alone by faith we rest and we lean our weakness on thy breast. Rest there, will you? Rest there. Briefly, I'll give you a little bit more and we must stop. I can't cover it all. I think we'll rest there. May God bless his word. And the vision of the risen, the ascended, and the glorified returning Christ fill our vision again and send us on our way rejoicing. Brethren and sisters, fellow Christians, fellow pilgrims on the way to eternity, we are marching to final victory, but we're not marching to victory. We're actually marching far from victory. The victory of the cross. The victory of the resurrection. The victory of the ascension. And it's only as it were a part of me putting it this way. I'm mopping up operation in that final day when he comes to put things, everything, right down. Destroy it and remove it and put it under his feet. Amen. Let's pray. (laughs) Father, we just come again. And we are glad to lift up the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that our understanding of who he really is, the glories of the Lord, might just fill our gaze better than they ever have before. We remember how the Lord Jesus unfolded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And Lord... May God the Holy Spirit 
open our understanding on those things concerning himself. May we see him as those disciples in the transfiguration. He was transfigured before them. His garments became white as the light, such as fuller on earth could not whiten them. The glory of who he was broke through for a moment, the veil of his humanity. And our God and Father, we want to see him as he is. We think of that day. We shall see him as he is. The disciples saw him as he was. They saw him as he went up. And one day together with them we shall see him as he is. Father, bless us. We pray as we separate. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Ghost be our very blessed portion as we leave. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.